Hello, church family. This is Ezra chapter 2, part 4. Uh, as we are going through this book, it's always uh, great to be able to focus on um, just a big picture of scripture. And I think in this chapter in particular, I, I, I realize I also need to do some correcting in terms of how I describe this chapter. This chapter, I said it described as a genealogy, but it's actually more of a, uh, a census, because there aren't actually... You know, genealogies is like first this person, the son of this person, this person, the son of that person. But there's more of a census in terms of uh, you list out all the people that are part of a particular group or for a certain location. Uh, part of it is genealogy, like, um, but not completely. Uh, they reveal who things are, but uh, or who where people are from, but it doesn't necessarily uh, give you like a strict genealogy, like the way that like, Jesus Christ genealogy is in the Book of. Uh, Matthew and Luke. Uh, rather, this is more of a census in terms of just getting a tally of uh, of individuals. So that's just a little correction there from uh, as I was meditating uh, through this chapter uh, this week. I thought maybe I should correct that. This isn't technically a genealogy, but more of a census. Uh, if you recall this, last, this whole week, we talked about how um, the significance of how God uh, uh, even using these genealogies reveals about who he is. And we talked about how God knows his people by name, uh, and that you know this list is an incomplete list. Uh, it, only, it only has like, where people's tribes are from, where their location, uh, where their hometown is from, but not really uh, actually a complete list of individuals. Uh, but God knows those individuals. God knows every single one of them. Uh, every every uh, 4,360 of them, he knows each and every single one of them by name. He knows all of their strength, he knows all their weaknesses, and God calls them each individually back uh, to serve him. Then we talked about how God uses the small amounts of people uh, to ultimately uh, bring him glory. That God doesn't care so much about quantity of people, but he rather, and because of the, uh, the lack, because of the small number, it gives him more glory because it shows how God can use the, the humble, the meek, the, the small to, to, to do great things for his glory. That it's not about the person or the numbers of people, but that God's working through the individuals. Um, again, uh, yesterday I said how this total list of people, which is again 42,360, um, it isn't a big group of people, relatively speaking. And 42,360, that's uh, maybe like a small town in the American uh, context. Uh, this is a really small group of people, but yet the Lord is going to use this group of people to rebuild the temple. Uh, that's going to go all the way until uh, 70 AD. Uh, so this is an a, a amazing task that they've given. Um, and yet the Lord is still going to use them. Uh, and that's how the Lord operates. The Lord operates by using the small groups of people in the world uh, to have a, a great impact for his kingdom. We draw that connection to our own lives as, as Christians. Christians are not supposed to be the majority because the world does not love the Lord. Love, the world loves darkness. Um, but rather we um, uh, should not strive for uh, trying to be Mr. and Mrs. Popular. Rather we should strive to be faithful knowing that the Lord can use us even though we are the vocal minority or the um, people that are frowned upon, where the majority of people look down on us because of our faith. Today we're going to look at how God expects to be worshipped properly in the context, more particularly um, in terms of the leaders. Uh, there are, uh, if you look at the end of the um, chapter from verse 61 to 63, there's a list of people that claim to be priests, uh, but yet they were um, they couldn't they cannot prove themselves 
to be priests. Uh, they cannot prove that they are actually from this particular bloodline. And that's significant because in the Old Testament, there are qualifications for the priests. Uh, you have to be from a particular tribe, and from that particular tribe, there's a certain uh, individuals that can do it. Uh, mainly one of them is like, you have to be a male, and there's certain uh, um, the qualifications that are just that you're born with, like, um, you know, we understand even in our day and age, there are some sort of discrimination in, in every way. And then I think we don't like that term, but it's true. Uh, pilots, for example, have to have perfect vision. That's not something that you can work towards, even in, and you can't have like laser eye surgery. It just has to be born with perfect vision. That's a form of discrimination because they don't want people to, you know, make sure that, you know, you're flying a plane, you have to have perfect vision in all that you do. In Leviticus, the same thing. Uh, for the priests, they have to have, uh, they have to be from a particular line. They have to be particular. They have to be like a firstborn. They have to be. Um, they have to basically be a part of uh, a selective group of uh, of, of Jews. Um, we see that in Leviticus uh, chapter one to seven. There's uh, there's like things that they have to do in terms of sacrifices, and then um, you know like the the free will offerings, the different type of offering that's if different animal offering, all these different things, all the different sacrifices are for a particular thing, uh, for a particular purpose, and they have to have a certain animal for it. In each of these cases, uh, they have to be, that's, God's really precise in how he wants to be worshipped. Um, chapter 8 and chapter 9, there was this, uh, of Leviticus, uh, there's an ordination or a consecration of Aaron and his sons, um, and it took, and basically explained what they're supposed to do in order to be priests is basically uh, putting in place the, the priests that are supposed to uh, be mediators between uh, God and man to atone for their sins. Um, and in chapter 10, we get this one little scene of, of Nadab and Abihu. These were people that uh, were Aaron's son. There's two sons, and they fail to fulfill the roles. Um, they uh, they weren't able to uh, do what they're supposed to do. Uh, they 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 offered an, uh, they offered a sacrifice that that God did not allow them to do. It. It's, it's an unauthorized uh, sacrifice, and they were killed for it. All that to say is that God demands this because God is uh, is God. He decides how he should be worshipped. He decides uh, how people should praise him and to worship him. And uh, lots of people have a genuine heart of worship, but that doesn't mean that uh, they're worshiping the right way. Right? We live in a world that's a postmodern world. They say, oh, as long as I'm sincere, that must mean it's okay. No, sincerity doesn't cut it. Sincerity is not what God wants. God wants you to worship him, not just the right God, but the right way. In our days, we tend to like to lower the standard for things because we don't like standards or anything. But as Christians, we understand that in the context of the church, your leaders are people that needs to uphold a certain type of uh, character and attribute. First um, Timothy three. This is a. I mean, this is a very familiar passage to all of us. And this chapter that, I, especially for me, I, I read at least once a year. I'm always checking myself to see where I'm at and um, making sure that everything here uh, it's that I'm aligned with all of these things because I don't want to be disqualified. Uh, for Timothy 3, we, we know these things. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work and, and fine work he desires to do. Overseer then must be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceful, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, 
keeping his children under control with all dignity, but a man does not know how to manage his own household, how would he take care of that church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into, into reproach and the snare of the devil. So these are the qualifications. And, you know, I would encourage all of us um, to really keep each other accountable in that way. If you're a member of the church, you should keep your elders accountable. Keep me accountable. Make sure that I live up to these things. If I have a blind spot in one of these areas, please let me know. Uh, and and I, I do believe that uh, it's important that uh, church leaders and church elders in particular are models of godliness. In fact, I would argue that what is more important, what you, what the church needs, what every church needs, uh, more than just, um, you know, above, uh, being able to preach well, above being able to counsel people well, above, uh, being like a leader or, or a visionary in terms of how to lead the church, the, the, the one thing that the church needs and expects from the pastor is actually none of those things, although those things are important. I would argue the most important thing that church needs from their pastor is holiness. What uh, uh, of all the things that you want your leaders to be, you want them to be holy. You want them to be uh, separated because they're sort of model the life of faithfulness. Um, Paul tells Timothy to to follow him the way that he follows Christ. This isn't to say that you you copy every single thing in terms of like you look like Ph or you act like Dale or whatever, but rather you you look at how they pursue Jesus Christ, and that should encourage you to follow the Lord in the same way. Second Timothy 2, verse 22 to 26. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Part of the role of leader is that there's more of these character traits. I mean, actually, you'll, if you notice, even in the things that's listed from Titus 1 and even First Peter 1, the, all of the attributes of uh, qualification leader, only one of all, there's all of them are more character-based. Only one of them is functional-based, and that's able to teach. But all the lists that's, that's in scripture, they're all about who the, who, who the person is. Um, so which makes me believe that what matters the most for the church, and especially for the leaders of the church, isn't so much their function or their ability, but it's their holiness. This is why, you know, the devil will always try to attack the leaders first, because if they're not holy, then the congregation will follow in that way. If you look at modern day churches, a lot of pastors strive to try to look um, and cool and be acceptable from the world. And that's not a good thing to aspire to. Um, I'm saying this because I think there's always a temptation to want to win the culture. Um, sometimes people would rather win the culture while compromising their own godliness. Um, and as a pastor of the church, my hope is that you pray for me and all the other elders, and that you pray for all of us, that we do live holy lives. Uh, that you, that we live in such a way that represents Christ and that you will follow us, not because of our skill set per se or because of personalities, but, but because we make you desire Christ more. Uh, so please pray for us in this way. Keep praying that we don't fall, that we don't disqualify ourselves, that we work, that we lead uh, the church in a way that 
God expects of us. What makes a church um, God-honoring is if a church upholds their doctrine, and leadership is one of those places where they have to this, this tested. If the leaders aren't holding doctrine, uh, true doctrine, and not living out the doctrine, then it's 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 it won't be long before the whole church fall falls into sin. Failure to do so would dishonor the Lord and makes the faith look like the world. Um, so pray for your leaders. Pray for those that are even future leaders that they may know the truth and live out the truth. And um, whatever the leadership, whatever the leadership uh, fails, so does the church. And I've said this a lot, even at our elders meetings, that um, oftentimes the church reflects us as the leaders. Um, if there are any shortcomings of the church, it's probably a reflection of who we are because we model a certain aspect of uh, Christianity to the to to the church. Um, and it's really a humble reminder for all of us to always be watchful of our own lives. Um, and the church is only as as is only going to be as godly as its leadership. It's only going to be as strong in, in terms of doctrine and the way they live out their live out that doctrine based on the leaders and the elders of the church. Um, again, the strength is not based on personality. It's not based on skill set or or vision, but godliness and doctrinal clarity. Um, so I would ask all of us. Um, so just continue to pray for us. I always pray for our, our elders because I don't want any of them to fall. I don't want them to bring any stain or to, or any uh, thing that would taint the name of our Lord. And I invite you to pray for all of us as well, um, that because God expects to be worshipped in a particular way, and especially the leaders, the priests in, in Ezra chapter 2 are supposed to represent the leaders. They're supposed to be the ones that teach God's word and model God's word. And so it is for us today. First Peter 2, verse 9 to 12 says that we are actually a kingdom of priests. So it's not only just the leaders that have to live a particular way, but also the congregation. Uh, that all of us are called to live in a particular way because all of us are worshipers of him. So what does that look like? Now I just describe all the things that leaders need to be, but what about the congregation? Uh, how are the congregations supposed to worship the Lord in a particular way? Uh, we'll actually look at that next week when we go to Ezra chapter 3. But for now, uh, for today, uh, if you find time, uh, I would ask you to pray for all of us. Pray for all, of, pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, pray that we uh, that we don't compromise, that we uh, continue to live faithfully to the Lord. Um, that we, I think all the elders, yeah, all the elders are married. So pray that we love our wives, that pray that we take care of our family, pray that we live up to the standards that's um, in Scripture. Because uh, the more we do those things, the more the elders and leadership live out God's word, um, the more uh, the Lord's going to be honored uh, through, the, through the way that the elders live out, the, um, you know, lead. Um, so I just hope that you pray, pray for us. Um, you join us in prayer for all of us in the leadership team as well as even for yourselves that want to be future leaders. Uh, being a leader is not easy, but it is an honor and a privilege. Uh, but in order to do those things well, that the Lord can find elders faithful, is that we live accordingly to the word of God. So God expects to be worshipped in a particular way. This week we looked at how God knows his people. Throughout this whole chapter we see how God knows his people. He knows them by name. He knows them in detail. He knows them intimately. We also see how God uses a small amount of people in the in Israel. That's going uh, He's going to use a small group of amount of people to do uh, amazing things. And that's how he is to the church as well, that he's going to use the church to represent him in ways that we'll never imagine, uh, even though we might be the minority. It's okay because uh, God is for us. It doesn't matter who's against us. 
And lastly, that God expects to be worshipped a particular way, especially in, in the roles of leaders, that um, he has qualifications, he has expectations, and he wants us leaders to make sure that we live according to those things. Uh, because without those things, then uh, we really, people that don't live up, live up according to scripture shows that they don't see God's word as um, God's word. They just see it just um, that we don't take God's word seriously. So uh, that's it for this week for Ezra chapter 2. Look forward to uh, going as going through Ezra chapter 3 uh, next week. Uh, pray that uh, you guys have a blessed week and have a nice day. Take care.